I am Jen Wilson, author and body, mind and soul coach. Welcome to the I Am podcast, where we explore who you are. Hi, it's Jen here and welcome to the I Am Jen Wilson podcast. So today I am talking with Paul Shields. Now Paul is the first male guest that I've ever had on the podcast and it's the first guest that we've got since we've done the rebranding from Warrior Women Project to I Am. I was both excited and a little bit nervous about having a guy on the podcast and I didn't know how things would potentially pan out because... Sometimes boys don't chat as much as as girls do. And I then prepared more for this podcast than I had for any of the other ones in a long, long time. But as it turned out, Paul was dead easy to talk to and has a lot to say. And our conversation kind of goes all over the place. Um, Paul is a really, really interesting guy. has a lot of opinions and a lot of ideas about things that I am really excited to share with you. So I hope you enjoy this podcast when it comes. I also want to let you know that I also have a new website, which is IamJenWilson.com. There's a YouTube channel and I am going to be sharing some, some, I'm going to be sharing lots of interesting things with you over the coming periods. Now, before we get started, I rewrote my book, Become a Warrior Woman, Nine Rules to Sort Your Shit. And it is now, I am sorting my shit, Nine Rules to Sort Your Shit. And that is available on Amazon. Along with that, it is a workbook. So check that out today and get a copy of it. I have de-sexed it in as much as it is now a bit more gender neutral. So... Boys, you're not becoming a warrior woman. You are becoming yourself um, and sorting your shit. And when I was reading through the book, I've updated some of the rules. I have rewritten some of the paragraphs so that they make a bit more sense. And yeah, when I was reading it, I was like, fuck, I'm actually really wise. And I'm actually so proud of the work that I did when I wrote the book. I don't think I gave myself credit for it. I don't think I was in the space to give myself credit for um, the original content when I, that came out back in December 2016. So head over to Amazon, do a search either for Jen Wilson or Nine Rules to Sort Your Shit, and you will be able to get your hands on that. It's available in paperback and Kindle. So without any more chit-chat from me, I am going to lead you into the chat with Paul Shields. Enjoy the interview, and I'll see you on the other side. Right, so I am here today with Paul Shields, who I know through the Rebel City podcast, and is the first male guest on this podcast, because for the last year it has been under the Warrior Women Project, and now that we're rebranding and we are under I Am Jane Wilson, I've brought Paul along. So Paul, how are you today? Not bad. Geared up for Christmas. <laughs> Just going out after Christmas. <laughs> Um, haven't decided yet. <laughs> well, when you're recording it, we're here not for Christmas, if it's after Happy New Year. <laughs> exactly. So why don't you tell the listeners who you are? Um, well, Paul, so, uh, in, yeah, doing a podcast, Rebel City Podcast, uh, which is 
funnily enough, it started out as a, a social endeavour for me to reconnect with a couple of friends um, because I had felt that, well, one, I needed a creative outlet, so I suppose we could talk about creative outlets because I've got a lot of, sort of interesting thoughts on that. Um, yeah. But also, uh, I felt like a couple of my mates needed a creative outlet. Yeah. So decided to, and was had recently had gotten mad keen on podcasts and sort of listening to hours and hours and hours worth of podcasts and just interested in this idea of long-form conversation versus um, sort of clickbait culture that we've came, became accustomed to yeah. where it's like, here's the headline, you click in and you read the, the, the meat of the, the news in quotation marks, like air quotes, um, and actually finding out that the headline's just a load of shit. Yeah. And so this long-form conversation, um, it brings out a sort of honesty in what people are trying. So if they've got a rhetoric and a message or a soundbite and people can challenge them on their, their, their rhetoric, that doesn't really happen. And so, uh, so anyway, um, the podcast was, was a, a, a way for me to reconnect with a couple of really close mates that over the course of um, a couple of years dealing with mental health issues, uh, dealing with a sort of rebalancing and restructuring my life, I had sort of benched my social, um, uh, yeah, like my friendships, and um, that had led to the whole uh, structuring my friendships, like between across multiple people, four or five people, <clears throat> just disintegrated because I was the, the linchpin that was kind of holding it together. Yeah. Um, I don't think my mates would mind me saying that because it's just, it's true. Um, yeah. When I took a step back and had to really sort of focus on myself, um, all of the relationships kind of just went away. You were um, always the one that brought people together and mm-hmm. reached out to people or whatever. Yeah, so being in a band, I was in a band for 10 years and um, we, did a, um, we, did, we did a lot of gigs so we did, up and down the country. Um, and that was a really sort of easy way for us to be social. So we were playing Glasgow maybe like once or twice, up to four, five, six times a month. And that would mean that there would be a group of sort of 20, 30 people that would always come together and would always have that opportunity. But that that ended um, when I was 30, 31, so about four years ago. And when that came to an end, it was about two years later, somebody had said to me, just don't see anybody anymore. Yeah. And then that had meant that I felt this sort of intense pressure to like be social um, and had put that into sort of drinking and going out and organising these nights out, big massive nights out and let's go and get drunk. And it really didn't fit in with the sort of new way that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just thought let's, let's combine a couple of things. I wanted to get a creative outlet I was enjoying podcasting, um, and it was outside my comfort zone. Um, so I thought, create a podcast um, and get a couple of people involved, which has been, I mean, awesome, really. Yeah. It's, it's not really like anything, nothing mental, do you know what I mean? It's not like we're getting sponsors or anything like that, but it's really, the goal there is to have a creative outlet, connect with my mates, and feel good about what I'm doing, and I'm definitely doing that. If you're ticking all those boxes, that's what makes it successful. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need... The thing about sponsorship for podcasts is, if I go, oh, now we're going to hear from our sponsors, first thing I do is hit fast forward. Mm-hmm. Jump 30 seconds, jump yeah. 30 seconds to get back to the conversation. And I understand why people do have sponsors on their podcasts, and it's something that, if the right people came along, I would consider, but 
it's something that I personally don't listen to because that's not why I'm tuning into the podcast. I'm tuning into the podcast to hear people have those conversations Mm -hmm. so that you're getting that diverse points of view and hearing from people that you wouldn't necessarily get a chance to speak to in real life. definitely. I think, like, one of the things that attracted me to podcasting was in 2014, um, during the, the independence referendum, I felt that 100% was going to happen. But it was going to be 75 25. We were squishing this. And then after I had grieved, and, um, <laughs> I'm still grieving. Uh, well, I, I, don't think, I think there's a generation of people that will never go over that, what happened. Yeah. But um, I suppose that's maybe a different conversation. But <laughs> I, I had. Um, I I'd sort of reflected on why did that happen to me? Why did I feel that it was going to be a 75% yes vote? And when there was this sort of silent majority that sat saying nothing, it turned out that they weren't saying nothing. It's just that the way that social media is constructed is that you only hear your own biases and you only hear for people because the algorithm looks at what you're liking. And if you're only liking things that are positive to one aspect of society, then that's all that you're going to see. Yeah. So that was one of the main things that attracted me to podcasting. One of the big ones for me um, was two, two that really shifted was I watched, he's a deplorable, deplorable guy, but I watched Milo Yelinopoulos, you know who Milo is? So he is a prominent right-wing English um, homosexual who is actively homophobic. Okay. It's almost like these. There's a there's a small group of them as well in America, sort of like women that are on Trump's side, and it's almost like yeah. differentiating themselves from the majority of people so that they stand out in the crowd yeah. as a way to advance themselves. That's the way that I see it. But I sat down and watched this guy speak for two hours and just thought to myself, I've got no idea that people like this exist. Yeah. Um, and. I, it was. I hated what I hated what he was saying. I disagreed with everything he was saying, but the value that is in hearing that opinion is yes. absolutely like very valuable to me. Because then I'm educated and I know that these people exist. I know their point of view. And if somebody comes at me with that sort of opinion or mindset, then I've got the tools to sort of not even debate, but hold my own in a conversation with yes. people. And understand why you have the beliefs that you have. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then the second one was John Peterson. I don't know if you've heard of John Peterson. He's a. I feel like I have, but... Everybody's heard of him recently. <laughs> um, he's a he's an evolutionary psychologist that has came to prominence because he rebelled against a piece of legislation in Canada against sort of the transsexual pronouns, so making it a legal requirement for you to address somebody in their identity. Right. So he he's misunderstood. So he's another he's another one so I'm into that podcast thinking, I'm gonna hate this guy. Here we go, another one of these two hour long conversations where I'm just hating what the guy's saying. Yeah. Um, and it turned out that I was like, this guy's been so misrepresented amongst my group of people on social media that yeah. I, I couldn't get my head around it. I could not get my head around how somebody could be painted as right wing as transphobic, is uh, homophobic and racist, and when you actually listen to them speak. That's not what they're definitely, saying. No, definitely yeah. not what they're saying. So that was my sort of introduction to podcasting, and it made me realise that um, the pitfalls of basing your opinions 
on what you see and hear on sort of the internet and social media and, and gave me this sort of different point of view and basically a, a different perspective on some issues that I felt that I knew how I, I felt deep inside about them when I, in fact, when you hear these different sort of perspectives and point of views, it's like, that's, that should be considered. Yeah. I think that that's part of modern, especially in 2018, that is, we've lost a bit of that. Considering the opposite, and yeah. what does um, what does the other side of the argument look like? Based different to how I feel and how I think, um, and I can understand why because people feel anxiety when somebody argues. I think that that is probably because like, we argue a lot with each other. Yeah, um, they don't like so, the confrontation. Yeah, they don't want the confrontation. A lot of people do just want, especially I think a lot of I don't want to sound like an old man, but a lot of young people. They spent a lot of their life just having their biases and their opinions reinforced by their, their bubble online. Yeah. When somebody comes in and counter-argues, or not even argues, just gives a different sort of perspective or disagrees, it's so shocking that they can't really deal with it. Like, it's yeah. almost like an attack, and then we get sort of things like microaggressions. And, it's like, yeah. and partly like, that's just, not necessarily their fault, so to speak, if they've lived in a world where social media has always existed Mm -hmm. they only know that what the algorithm controls is what's put in front of them and they might not necessarily be wise to that to know to go and then look outside of that bubble to to experience Mm -hmm. that when they pop their head outside the bubble as well all they get is um they all they get is contradiction to how they think and feel yeah and they don't they there doesn't seem to be, there's a lack of consideration to why people think and feel a certain way. Um, I think that's prevalent in how people reacted to the pensioners during Brexit and um, in the ref one because people blamed them for the vote. Look at the statistics. The over 65s have caused this vote to go the way it's went. And it's like, well, why does somebody over 65's opinion not matter to you? Yeah. Why do they feel the way that they feel? Why don't we analyse? how they've formed these opinions because the majority of them will one probably still read a newspaper. Yeah. So that just if you can isolate that, then you can work in changing these people's opinions. Stop I mean I did that with my mum. I told my mum to stop reading the newspaper. Um, and my mum's political opinions have changed rapidly since she stopped yeah. reading the sun. So if we could all do that <laughs> instead of just pointing the finger and blaming, like have a, a sense of empathy and think or ask these people, how did you come to that conclusion? Try and understand how they come to these conclusions and then not necessarily fight it, but maybe show them that there's a different way of looking at it or there's a different source of information, there's a different news source that is not traditionally been at the front, uh, like um, people, how people source or how people get their news. But I think that that's a lot of... And, I'm not judging anybody because I did that exact thing during, I mean, I was like, well, why do they, how come people, I mean, doesn't independence isn't really going to affect them, they're going to be dead by the time a lot of these <laughs> things come and we get, these, get, we get a lot of what we're looking for. Um, and I think that that's definitely the wrong way to go about sort of having conversations relating to other people. Yeah. It's a good way of isolating yourself and just thinking yeah. I was right, they were wrong instead of just going, Wait a minute. How did they come to again? How did they come to these conclusions? Where are they getting their information? And then sort of helping people 
find different sources. Yeah. Um, yes, my mum and dad it's predominantly BBC news and the ITV news that they watch mm -hmm. in question time. So all their influence and ideas and thoughts all come from that sort of thing. And me and my brother are looking at them going, what do you mean you're voting? No, mm -hmm. like this makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And the same when it came to the Brexit, like, what do you mean you're you're voting to leave? What, what, where did you get your information? But that was just that's their sources of information. That's what they've always trusted and always believed in mm -hmm. throughout their whole life. And yeah. trying to get them to understand that different point of view yeah. was that's their social construct. Yeah, like that's. I mean, I, I grew up in a household where it was anything other than Tory, which meant. You're voting Labour. Yeah. So getting my mum to consider voting SNP was, I mean, I, it's silly to say, but I did it in, I did it in one phrase. I'd sat for hours talking to her and talking her through. Look at the oil. Look at the whiskey. Look at the import export. Forget about what the message is and just look at the numbers. My mum couldn't like bless her, but she couldn't understand it. Yeah. She never got it. She doesn't. She doesn't realise what what these numbers mean. And I just said to her, when Jim Murphy stood next to um, who would have been, I can't even remember who that, I think it, it was probably Ruth Davidson and Jim Murphy were standing next to each other and I paused her TV and went, that's Labour and Tory standing next to you telling you to vote no. And she instantly went, I'm voting yes, that's it. Because she realised that these are the people that she's been fighting against her full life and yeah. that this guy didn't represent what her idea of labour was, was her idea of labour was working, helping the working class people, the disenfranchised, and the centre ground doesn't do that. It yeah. helps the market, and it's about um, growth and economics, um, and she just, in that one sort of instance, her whole perception changed, and since then, um, it's... It's been, I mean, it's almost been like a brainwashed off. <laughs> but then, but then, comes in, then, then it comes into, well, that, that's me going in the assumption that I'm right. Yeah. And that, well, then my sister, who's in the, the other side, sometimes, no, always, like, um, so my brother was a taxi driver, and um, for me, people that are working in certain industries, such as, I think the fisheries and the the, the, the um, farming industry, sure, it made sense to vote leave the EU because yeah. there's so much red tape that goes around the industries that stop these people from actually from growing because it, it's about fairness across the continent so that our fish gets sent to Spain before it gets sent back to us to consume. Yeah. So that doesn't really make doesn't sense. Make sense. And, and it, it causes quite a lot of... Sort of um, regression in those industries. So I can understand why somebody like that. My brother, as I say, is a taxi driver. So he's seen things like Uber come in yeah. and take a lot of his, his business away. He's seen, I mean, crazy stuff that comes in, like the licensing laws in Glasgow City Centre where they're not allowed to stop. So if you order a taxi for George Square, he's not allowed to stop. If he gets caught stopping in George Square, he gets a fine yeah. for the council. So he just looks at all this red tape and then here's people like Farage come in and talk about red tape it speaks to him. Yes. So he's got that point of view of like, this is going to make my life better, so I'm going to vote in that. And then yeah. when you try and talk about other things like the £289 million doesn't exist, and he doesn't care because he's only, he's thinking for his perspective. Okay, what's so, going to impact him the most? Yeah, so from yeah. my brother-in-law's point of view, me sitting and convincing my mum uh, on one, two or three different things, he's sitting thinking, well, you're wrong because yeah. and that's where... 
you get into these sort of internal battles of um, am I right? Uh, probably not fully. I mean, is, is everything that was said about being in an independent Scotland true? Probably not. Yeah. But it's up to you to decipher as the majority true. What do you want? How do you feel? And do you understand that? And as long as you can do that and rationally express why you do things, I've got absolutely no problem with you doing whatever you want, as long yeah. as you've got a rationale behind it. Um, and it's not just cause. And it's not just because I like. That makes me feel powerful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just why? Why? Why did? Why did a lot of people in East End of Glasgow, the most disenfranchised working class area of Europe at one point in time, with heart disease, was the knife crime, heart disease, and and male. Um, early age death was at the highest it was in Europe. Why did they vote for a Tory councillor in 2017? Um, well, there's a prevalent ranger supporting aspect in that area. And yeah. that they're, they're unionists, so, so their, their parents are telling them to vote. This is why we should vote this. This is why we should keep the union. The Queen, they understand that, probably. Would have understood it two or three years ago. No. Probably not. Yeah. So... That that um, I don't even I've got a tendency to ramble on. That's all right. People listening to my podcast will be like, "This guy just sits and I end up getting off in these wee tangents where I try to think of it in my mind." But so what caused me. that growth in you to happen? Um, Was there a specific trigger that happened? Yeah. Or? Well, my life—it was funny. It will sound mental when people will be like, "Really?" Um, my life came to a shuddering stop at like 29, 30 year old where I had, um, I, I, well, I had became addicted to porn. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot, I've got a lot of ideas of why that happened. Um, and it, and it, it's based a lot in a personal relationship that I'm not sure if the other person would be particularly happy when we talk about details. But yeah. I mean, a, a toxic relationship for both parties. Um, yeah a mental health issue that meant that sexual contact was off the table. And so as a, as a red-blooded male, I felt that my only alternative was to find it in another aspect. And my morals were I would never cheat. Um, so yeah. I went and found it in a sort of in porn. Um, so I had a reality shift happen where I had felt that it was normal that porn use, and even like well, high porn use because as, as I've read into it, my, my actual addiction wasn't a, wasn't even good or bad addiction, but wasn't actually that deep set. Yeah. Um, I got out of it quite early, um, but I think that this shift that happened within me happened because porn use was normalised to me, mm-hmm. and talking about the porn that you watch with your mates and it, it's a normal sort of thing amongst males. Yeah. Um, and in fact, when I tell people that I don't watch porn, I've actually people go, "That's not true." <laughs> I, I can't be true everybody watches it and that's the reality I think is that yeah. the majority of people do especially the majority of men um, I think that women have came to just accept that that's just that male that yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and that they probably do it in secret and that they don't talk about it um, so that was something that I had felt well if society has normalised this for me and it's been wholesomely unhealthy for me both mentally and physically, because there was a lot of physical aspects, I started to read into 
why I had ended up where I was. Yeah. Um, and then I started to think about how porn spoke, like how we speak about it, how in mainstream media, how sex, sex is normalised, and through the recovery for porn addiction, had noticed that women and men are both sexualised ridiculously so in mainstream media. And if you yeah. want to disconnect yourself from your sexuality, which I had to do for a small period of time to sort of get back to a place that was normal, I had to really sort of disconnect myself from the mainstream. Yeah. And through doing that, found alternative medias. Um, and that's how I ended up getting into sort of podcasting and this um, different ideas because I had cut myself off from my own sort of um, reality um, and uh, social media took a backseat yeah, because exactly. I had to do it. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I'm quite disconnected from a lot of stuff that happens on TV and in the media because I don't read newspapers. I mm -hmm. very briefly graze over Facebook, but it's usually... It's because of what I like. It's, that's the stuff I see. So I don't yeah. see the other stuff that's going on. I was at my mum and dad's the other night and they were watching the dancing programme. Strictly come dancing. That'll be the one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there was a girl band on it. I want to see Little Mix. Aye, that'll be them. And I'm looking at them going, my pal takes her kids to see them and one of them's six and one of them's nine. And they are like, one of them is wearing a, a MAC jacket that was only just grazing her backside. And if she moved the wrong way, you'd have been seeing everything. Mm -hmm. Another one had like a bra top on that was like really sexual. And I'm like looking at these girls and the faces plastered in makeup. And I'm like, what message is that given to society that mm -hmm. this is what women are supposed to look like? Yeah. This is what women are supposed to present themselves? just to be objectified mm. and whatever they were singing about was about oh please come back to me Megan's mm. a boyfriend to come back or something yeah. like that like, I mean there was an interesting because I hate Pierce Morgan right with an absolute passion I saw that in your Twitter feed earlier oh, I was having a look through I hate him I hate the guy <laughs> I think that and I'll tell you I don't hate the guy because he's views I don't like Pierce Morgan because um, he He's just a self-serving twat, really. He he changes. So when he goes to America, he's left. So he's talking about gun control and he's progressive and formal thinking. When he comes to the UK, yeah, he's the opposite. And I think that he's a he's a chameleon, and I don't like people like that because mm -hmm. he's not giving you the true person that he is. Yeah. I've got no doubt that underneath everything, he is actually a scumbag because he's worked at news. But I don't think that anybody's born a scumbag but he's come through newspapers he was involved in phone hunting and yep. all of these different bits and pieces this guy is an absolute parasite like, yep. and gets so much airtime that it makes it, it's disgusting but then he comes out with a point about little mix two weeks ago that i'm sitting going oh christ i agree with him and <laughs> and he's but then the 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 the, the internet feminists get involved and talk about women empowerment and how women should, if they feel like they should want to sexualise themselves, that they should do that without the judgement of men. And you're like, right, okay, that, that's, a, that's a fair point. But then I've worked in the music industry. Yeah. Who's behind what they're doing? Who's telling them to dress like that? If you look at Girls Aloud, for example, this is, so I'm still one foot in, one foot out, because I've only just disconnected myself maybe three years ago. So... If people talk to me about things that have come out in the last three years, I've got no clue. But if they talk about things that were out and before that, yeah, that were in <laughs> media, mainstream media before that, I know what they're talking about. Well, Mix was definitely something like that. Um, 
if you look at, so even you could take Little Mix as an example with Girls Allowed, if you look at how they dressed when they turned up on that show, and then how they dressed when they were put together as a band and then the, the, the album was coming out, yeah. and then you look at how they dressed now, it's got gradually and gradually more sexually explicit yeah. to the point where, like you're saying, I mean, if you, even if you look at Strictly, um, they're pretty much like half naked yeah. and they're dancing around a ballroom. Then I think that the consideration needs to come, who's watching this? Why? What's attracting these people to this show? Um, is there a, a section that is attracted to it because it has sexualised it? It is a sort of, mm, she looks good dancing about and um, I think also there's another element to Strictly Come Dancing where they have the sort of, and, and that type of reality TV X Factor Britain's Got Talent where they get the person who's really bad on mm-hmm. and then it's like, well, secretly you're laughing. People people vote for, for these people and you think, oh, that's really nice. It's kind of like inclusivity and he's not very good. Like Ed Balls did it, the politicians going on and making an arse of himself on Strictly Come, Come Dancing. Susan Boyle. Um, people that are, I mean, Susan Boyle's a different thing because she she was clearly mentally ill, but um, and there's also very talent. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a completely different thing, but when they put it on, you could see people's faces smirking. Yeah, it, it was almost shocking that yeah. she was good because yeah. they were like, "Oh, here we go. Here's yeah. quite sure this is going to be a disaster. Wait to see this." And then when she sings beautifully as she does, yeah, it's almost like, "Oh, wow, really? Somebody that looks like that can sound like that? That's shocking." So much judgment. And that's um, all that that is. That's yeah. all that that is. And it's the same sort of thing when the person who's the worst and strictly makes it to like the final two weeks. Yeah. It, it's not because people are like, I'm getting behind the underdog. It is literally like, I'm enjoying watching somebody be worse than me. Yes. That's what I think anyway. That's how I feel about it is, is that people feel good about themselves yeah. because they're watching people crumble and be a disaster live on TV. And if it's not the people voting, because there's always that whole, uh, the vote's actually rigged, um, it's some, no, yeah, <laughs> somebody it's producing that show is putting that person on because it gets good ratings, because they know that people are tuning in to see whether or not yeah. this person's making a dick of themselves. Really interesting podcast I listened to yesterday that feeds into this about um, Donald Trump and how um, if you go back to the 2016 election at the start, Bernie Sanders said more people at his rallies than Trump did or a similar amount, sometimes yeah. more, sometimes less, I suppose, just in case somebody's like, no, he didn't. Um, <laughs> but CNN had Trump rolling 24-7. And if you were to ask somebody, or did you listen to it, the Russell, Russell, Russell Brand? Yeah, Williams a brilliant podcast. Yeah. And I loved her passion when she was speaking about the, the She's amazing thing. to listen to, I love her. Mm. Yeah. And she had basically said that, it, you would think if you were to go, who's responsible for the rise of the, uh, Donald Trump, you would be like, it's Fox. She's like, it's not, it's CNN, because it, it gets them ratings. It's almost like a car crash, and then they don't take it seriously, but they don't realise that they've got a responsibility, but what they put out there is definitely what's consumed. Yeah. Um, and if CNN, somebody like CNN's supposedly supporting Donald Trump, people who watch that, that respect that, that think this well, is... Well, it was the opposite, because CNN were against them. They were yeah. almost dangling them out as a joke. Look at the state of this clown not realising that by doing that as a mainstream media outlet, there is a huge section of society that goes, I'm going to vote for that because you're telling me not to and you're saying that it's a joke and he's saying what I feel, so you're telling a lot of people you're a joke yeah. and your your views are only valid um, and 
like they had said in that podcast, it was basically they were taking democracy for granted for clickbait. They were putting yeah. the potential result of a huge election to one side to get ratings, to make money, and to basically like attract a, a crowd of people. Um, and that's, I think that's kind of disgusting. Um, yeah, because she said that they're now trying to like, backtracking, backtracking backpedaling for it. And the interesting done. thing about that, I was speaking to my girlfriend about this last night, is that she had, and I was kind of like, that's kind of, it's true that we've probably never had such good journalism in American politics because they're giving you the truth, they're, they're looking for the actual truth behind things. Yeah. They, they sort of shine a light on Trump and what he's about. Um, and it's it comes, she was bang on, it comes to a place of guilt. It comes yes. to this weird kind of responsible, we need to make this right. Um, and I thought it was interesting, Russell Brand's point of, but they're just going back, they're just going back one step. They're not looking at how much did Barack Obama's tenure as American president cause this? How much has the center caused us? Um, and instead they'll just, let's just go back to that. Let's just get Hillary in. Do you know what I mean? She's the, she's the status quo, when in fact I feel that politics need radical change. Yes. Um, and somebody like Sanders um, or Corbyn in this country, um, or Britain, no, no necessarily Scotland, <laughs> but these are the types of rad radical changes that I feel that are needed, no necessarily communism or socialism or another political construct, which is just a, a, a way of dealing with economics in, the, in a country, I don't really care. Like, capitalism isn't its fault because it's just, it's a guide. Yeah. It's about the people that are involved in the, the, cap, the capitalism and how do we regulate them, how do we keep them in check. Um, these are the important issues, but we don't really concentrate on that. It's just about blame and yeah, clicks. How did he, he did this? Um, Listening to me, the big boy did it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I think there's a lot of that that happens. I mean, a lot of people go about going about the bankers. Um, and if you understand human nature, if you dangle a carrot in front of people, it's very, very hard for them to say no to Yeah. So if somebody's making a million pounds a year and they, they don't know, one, that they're ripping people off or that there's an actual consequence, sort of down the hierarchy, are they making these bonuses? All they care about is making more bonuses. They, yeah. Like I work in a, a in a, a an industry where I get paid a bonus if I do a certain thing, and I constantly need to be mindful that I'm doing it in a, a ethical way. Yeah. Because if you don't, it will come to an end, one way or another. The truth will always come out. But I think that blaming people like. Um, what was the one that I had read spoke about? The Jimmy Carr, Gary Barlow thing, where people had went, I don't know if you remember this, where they were found to be like, no paying tax. Right. So like two celebrities, rich, um, and they're no paying their taxes, and people are going to Jimmy Carr uh, and Gary Barlow and basically oh, scum, and then you're not realising that it's not them. It's a government tax loophole that's left there, for people like them to use, yes. and also they're hiring somebody. It's not like they, they went, they I'm going to do all this research, I'm going to do all this research, and I'm going to find out how I can keep my money. All that it's sold to them, it is yeah. sold to them because their accountant and lawyers will be taking, will be skimming off the top of the money that they get to keep, so they'll Absolutely. be getting 10% of that. So yeah. then they're going, oh, listen, Gary, 
there's a way that you can keep all your money, you don't need to pay the 40p tax, would you want to do that? Mm. Who's going to be like, nah, do you know what? I'll volunteer for like two million quid. He's going to be like, yeah. well, I get to keep is this one point. Is this a legal loophole? Sure, why not? Let's play that game because well, so all yeah. the politicians are. Yeah. Is it, is it legal? Yes. Well, yeah. Is it more? Nobody ever would ever ask, is this morally, like if you're sitting down yeah. with a lawyer and an accountant, is this morally okay? Um, which I think, if we take it back to what I was saying, that's a kind of radical change. Yep. That we need we need morality. Um, I loved what um, I don't even know what that woman's called. It was on Russell Brand. Marianne Williams. Marianne Williams. I loved that she was saying that you need to cultivate morality. You need to cultivate um, creation and expression and um, mindfulness. These are all things that we need to cultivate and we need to be accountable for. And when the only thing that's cultivated in society is growth. And that is the only thing that we value. Then there's no surprise that we've ended up, um, as she said, in the eleventh hour, or like sort of social morality and where do we go from here? And can we can we turn the ship? Um, I'm not as uh, optimistic as she is, <laughs> and the reason for that being is is that I see a lot of sort of the new generation of people just lost and the internet and, and distraction and they don't know how to be mindful and we can see this coming up in a lot of sort of behavioural issues like autism and these are all just people that I, I think, I mean again people may be like talking absolute nonsense and there's no um, actual research behind what you're saying but I feel that this is a lack of um, development, yeah. um, social development and being able to stand on your own two feet. And I think that we've, we've almost sort of babied people into this area of like, well, I, I'm the most important person in my life, therefore your opinion does not matter to me, and if I don't get my own way, then that's shocking to me and I'm just going to lash out. Yeah. Which is just, just something scary. that a child has been taught at some point in their life because it's maybe when the parents have got busier because they've had Maybe both parents have had to go back to work to be able to provide homes well, and stuff like parents, that. Well, both parents, if you're talking about the majority of people, both parents 100% need to work. I mean, yeah. we've been, again, we've been backed into this corner. Yeah, so kids are then going to nursery much younger than people really should, because mm -hmm. I think you're really supposed to try and have parental influence there up to three before you put them into nursery. Mm -hmm. That's not happening for most people. Most people have to go back to work after maybe nine months. Mm -hmm. If they're lucky if they get a year out of oh, yeah. the maternity leave. So their kids then be put in a nursery where they're left because there's maybe two, three, four kids per teacher. So they're not getting one-to-one -one attention. Then they're having to learn how to be selfish at a much younger age so that they can try and get some attention. Because yeah. if they're the bad kids or they are more disruptive in some way, they'll get the attention. Mm -hmm. So then that, that then throws that from such a young age where they've been innocent and how that's happened and then as they grow up that's their nature so when they then come to school and work they still have that I need to look after myself I need to fend for myself yeah. it's all about me kind of oh, culture definitely. and it's yeah it's it, quite scary but the, the, I mean my, my nephew's autistic um and I would regard them as not heavily autistic. I've met people, I mean, what in retail, you meet, you meet loads of people. I've met people that are unable to even function, they need carers and stuff. Yeah. And my nephew's not like that. He's, 
he's a lo- he's a lovely wee guy, but um, he's autistic. So I've, I've seen a very very small amount of what it what it's like, and it's not nice. And a parent having to hear this is behavioural and this is learned behaviour and this is part of what's ha- this is part of the the process of what's happened when he's been growing is very uncomfortable. I mean, I've I've never really spoke to my sister about it, yeah. um, but I'm I'm studying mental health and that's what's that's what I'm being that's what I'm learning. Have you seen any of the research on autism being connected to gut health? Well, there is, a, there is I, some research now suggesting that gut health has a lot to do with autism. I've not, um, but I've well, I haven't, I haven't. So I've done a lot of sort of reading and I've listened to a lot of sort of podcasts about the the, the gut balance and the gut biome, yep. how it affects the brain. Yeah. And so it doesn't surprise me that that's got a lot mm. to do with it. And again, in this sort of when you're connected um, to the mainstream media. You don't ever see an advert for fruit, yeah. or like if you're watching um, Saturday Morning Kitchen, they never they're not really going. Here's how you can steam your vegetables, or here's how you can make a really nice, healthy meal for your family. It is for pennies. Yeah, it <laughs> is Gino De Campo standing, hitting out with like we we sort of snapshots of jokes where they fries up like some sort of cuisine that people are yep. like, oh let's do that for Saturday night dinner and also then you cut to cut to the break and it's Domino's, McDonald's, it's chocolate, it's car, it's buy this, buy that. Right, Budweiser, what are you doing on Saturday night? Are you out socialising? If you're not standing with your mates with a bottle of beer laughing, then you're not worth anything, right? Click back in. What are you cooking? Let's get back in. It's almost like how does your brain take all that in yeah. and, and actually go, what is a healthy diet? Um I was at one point in time, I was um, 22 stone. So I, I've, this is one of the things when I talk to people, 35, and I tell them I've done this, I've done that, I've been on tour with a band for 10 years, porn addiction, lost a lot of weight. But like, it's almost like, how have you went through all that? And, <laughs> You've had all the lifetimes in, <laughs> in 30 years. <laughs> yeah, um, but what, growing up in a working class house, I mean, no, no, no offence to my mum and my dad. My dad's been dead for, for 14 years, so... Um, and that's just another one, died a, a chronic heart disease at 55. So it's just another statistic where it's just reinforced. Um, I had absolutely zero idea what a good nutritional diet looked like. I grew up on, um, so it was my earliest. To be fair to them, they never did McDonald's. Yeah. But um, what's my, if I think really, really, my earliest food memory is fish and chips and it's my grand's house and it's a bottled roll and I loved but so my grand stayed next to yeah I know <laughs> so, and I'll tell you about a cheat meal that I had a couple weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> my girlfriend was like this is amazing why do you never do this um, my grand used to stay next to a, a wee bakery so they're, they're long gone but you went in and the actual bakery was at the back. Yeah. You could look through like the yes. sort of glass and see them and you would go down at midnight and they would sell off all their broken biscuits and stuff like that. So quite a nice memory. Um but she used to go into hers on a Sunday afternoon, play football, so this is like my earliest food memory. Go in, you'd smell the rolls and you'd be like, Oh, well, you'd smell like that roll. And then we would go to this chip shop at the corner, it was an Italian chip shop and it would be buttered fish and chips and a roll, that's what I would get for my dinner. Yeah. So that's my earliest food memory. As I grew older, it was kebab shops, 
at the end of the street, it was McDonald's. When I went to school, um, it was Taz Bars and, and, and Iron Brew. Yeah. So I had absolutely no idea of what a good nu- nutritional lifestyle looked like. Absolutely zero. I had to educate myself. Yeah. My school never gave me it. There was never any information. I mean, we live in an internet age where if somebody wants to find out how to eat well, it's dead easy. You just go to Google and put in a healthy, healthy balanced diet and it will tell you what a healthy balanced diet looks like. I had none of that. Absolutely none of that. So um, I played football every day, non-stop, for five until I was 16, 17 when I went to uni. And then it stopped. And when it stopped, I ballooned. Yeah. I mean, I went from a healthy, probably a healthy weight BMI at 17 to 19 at 22 stone. I did between 16 and 19 work McDonald's, so that didn't help. Right? Yeah. I ate McDonald's every day, but that stemmed from the fact that I had never been told what, you know what I mean, like what healthy food Aye. looked like. I'd never actually experienced it. I mean, fresh fruit when I was a child was a rarity. Um, it was always biscuits. It was a biscuit tin instead of the fruit bowl. So, um, what were we talking about? The, the, the connection between your gut and your brain. This is a connection, so I lost a lot of weight. Um, but I did it probably, I did it through Atkins. So okay. I probably did it in just as an unhealthy way as well. I had gained was the first cool before mm-hmm. Atkins himself died of mm-hmm. disease. Yeah, I, probably. <laughs> um, I, that was, I was 19. I was going to Spain and I, I just broke up with a girlfriend and I was like, I need, to, I need to lose some weight here and I did it in whatever way that I could. Yeah. So that's when I started to, to go to the gym and I started running. But again, I had no idea what I was doing nutritionally um, and just ate like, eggs and bacon and yeah. just no carbs, cut the sugar. Um, and then I lost a lot of weight. But from then till now, I went through different diets um, and I think like the last two years I've changed my diet to be a health based diet yeah. how do I feel when I eat yeah. being mindful of when I eat food for what purpose am I eating that food like why why am I eating like I think it's it's good to have so I have once a week, I'll have a cheat meal and I'll allow myself just to eat what I want, like just given to sort of some cravings. I've been told that that isn't really, that, that isn't really good practice, but it's what works for me. Yeah, um, it's got to be what works for you, otherwise you won't maintain it. Exactly, and it's a way of me sort of focusing myself throughout the other seven days and making sure that, and it is only a very limited period of time in my week, so I try and do 95% of the week I eat is I eat healthily and then 5% yeah. of the week and the way that I do that is through fasting so yeah. I, I'll still intermittent fast on the Saturday, the Friday, Saturday or Sunday when I have my cheat meal um, but how the difference that I've seen in cognitive performance um, awareness or our thoughts and how I feel and how that nutrition actually fuels my body is like radical, yeah. absolutely radical um, if I have a cheat meal the next day I can feel it like a hangover yeah and I keep saying to my mates like if you do that 30 days don't eat anything other than fresh fruit fresh veg meat fish nuts seeds nothing else um which is doable absolutely right? yeah. doable easily doable and not expensive 
Like people not as expensive like as what you would think. I, I mean, you can go and buy an apple for 20p if you want to really... Yeah. You don't need to buy the pot of fruit that Tesco have um, preserved and put in the <laughs> pot. For you. You're, you're paying for the vacuum pack and a fruit where you could... I mean, you get the pot that's £2 and it's got half an apple, 20 grapes and four strawberries in it. Yeah. Or for £6, you could go and buy probably about 30 of those... Um, pots right. and make it yourself if you really want to do it and um, so it's not expensive um, but um, I mean an unhealthy lifestyle is probably less expensive I don't think like you could go and buy really bad food like and cook it up for next to nothing yeah but, so but I don't think that a fresh uh, healthy lifestyle is out with like people say I it's unattainable you're eating junk food you eat constantly because your nutrition hasn't been, the needs of your body hasn't been met, so when you're craving stuff mm-hmm. it's because your body's still looking for the iron, the protein the good fats mm-hmm. and everything and all you've done stuff your face with biscuits or crisps or whatever and don't get me wrong, I can quite happily sit and munch my way through a six pack of crisps or mm-hmm. a family packet of biscuits but when you eat that you're like, I'm still hungry and then you go away and if you make a pot of vegetable soup or have something that's got all the nutrients in it mm-hmm. you can have that one bowl of soup and you're like I feel satisfied with that mm-hmm. it's totally yeah totally it's, different yeah I think it yeah that's that's a good point um I've never really thought about it like that I've always thought about it more that when you eat chocolate the sugar stimulates but it passes quickly and that's why you you're craving and um, you're craving the stimulation you don't understand that when you when you eat these types of foods that the the extra sugars and salts and fats they go in and they stimulate your body it's like coffee yeah um and then you're craving that stimulation like 50 people used to say about the mcdonald's thing oh, it fills you for an hour but then you want to eat again um and i think it's but what you're saying rings true it's the lack of nutrition that's yeah. why it passes through you really quickly yeah, as well your just through your brain but well, people doesn't like, burn it off really, I, really quickly. It burns through the nutrients. The, yeah, and then what's left there is the crap that's just going to cling onto your organs and then <laughs> leave you feeling fat and... and um, Lethargic yeah. and all the rest of it. And then you're like, oh, I need another hit. But mm-hmm. they, I mean, there's studies done that all the, the junk food um, places know the perfect combination of salt to sugar to fat to make you crave and want more because it triggers your hunger hormone. It doesn't satiate anything. Right. The thing that satiates is having all the nutrients mm-hmm. inside your body. It's got a little checklist of going, I need this much vitamin C, this much vitamin E, this much. So it's like that. No, we've not had it yet, so we're still hungry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the cells are craving that. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying, when I, I say to my mates to try it, because um, I'm a huge advocate and I'm probably one of these people that, I mean, you get a lot of people online talk about vegans, how like, they militant vegans and they want to talk about their diet and you know, it's because they're passionate about their diet, like, you want to talk about your football team, mate, like, yeah. I don't sit here and go, oh, stop talking about your football team, I don't want to hear about that, I'm not into that, which I am, but no, no. <laughs> that's your passion, I, if somebody's passion is fitness and nutrition, then we talk about it. What I would suggest that you do is reflect on why you feel bad when somebody talks about how well that they're doing and their fitness and their yeah. maybe it's got something to do with you and not them, but so it's shining a light on all yeah. everything that you see as a failure within yourself. Mm-hmm. But these failures are just things that you can change. You've yeah. got that just, you've you got the power in you yeah. to say, 
I'm changing. Yeah, and they don't have the willpower, so therefore, but they don't understand that. People don't understand that. People just take to going, oh, I don't want to hear that. Like, yeah. And they don't understand it's because probably deep down they know that they've tried and failed at yes. what this person is talking about what they're doing. But then you need to consider how well is that person actually doing it and how you, then you get into sort of um, arguing with yourself over that. But, um, people will always tell you all the times they've been good. Oh, <laughs> so I'm not yeah, going to tell you. Yeah, that that's the thing about it. Yep. That's it. I mean, I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big advocate of talking to my mates about my failures. Yeah. And being honest and being open and telling people um, if I've not done so well and, and it's refreshing to some people they'll be like and then you'll see them going do you know what see that I did that and yeah. then you're like this is this is worthwhile me doing this and, um. sorry this is fat <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> um, um, enough for me <laughs> so um, yeah I think that so we're talking about the, the, the connection between the gut and the mind. Um, I've been asking myself the question about why don't we, why is this not a prevalent subject? Why is it taking for me to go and listen to really sort of niche people um, for America or other parts of the planet and podcasts talking about this for me to realise that right, uh, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Um, if you want performance improvements, whether it be your relationships, your love life, your work performance, your physical performance, your cognitive performance, no matter what it is, you need to make sure that the fuel that you're putting in your body is good enough to support these improvements. If it doesn't, then you're hamstringing yourself. That's not to say that you can't make improvements without improving your diet because there's willpower and there's yeah. people are strong enough to overcome the the mental distress that like poor nutrition puts on them, but you're definitely hamstringing yourself. You're not giving yourself the right conditions to grow. Yeah. Um, one of the ones that, I, I think we spoke about this in my podcast, which I'll, I'll put out eventually, um, <laughs> that there is, there's a, a, an, a doctor in America that watched a podcast, Linda Patrick, that she broke it down to me, oh, not to me, yeah, on a podcast, <laughs> I felt that she was speaking to me, um, but she broke it down in a way that I just, it blew my mind when yeah. she started speaking about it and how that those people that she had dealt with um, that were on four or five different SSRIs, people trying to figure out their mental health, therapy, psychologists, and it was getting to the point of sectioning. And all of it, well, 95% of her clients don't get sectioned, and all she and that's what she is. She's a nutritionalist, yeah. which blew my mind. Um, and she basically is just like get rid of sugar. Yeah. Like if you could do one thing, improve your your diet, get rid of cane sugar, stop. I mean, and again, this comes into the sort of the the, the educational piece. I've got a friend that um, when I was telling him about my diet, it's like it's, it's a no, it's a no sugar diet, and then explained to him that I only eat fresh fruit. And he's like, I bet there's sugars in fruit. And it's like, yeah, I bet it's naturally occurring sugars. Yeah. Do you know the difference between that and that? And he's like, no. And I was like, right, well, it's almost like people are sitting waiting to pick holes and everything. They're like, mm, no, 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 you're eating sugar. You're telling me you're not eating sugar and you're eating sugar. Um, and he was looking at the back of stuff that I was eating. He was in my flat and he was looking at the back of stuff. He was like, look at the amount of sugar that's in that. And he's like, but it's fruit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like growing out the ground. Like, 
don't, yeah. I, I, you'll no, you'll no get that. Um, I'm talking about the cane sugar, like mass-produced cancer-causing garbage yeah. that you're putting it's in It's been highly processed mm-hmm. to get to that wee bag of granules that comes to the house. Exactly. Um, and so that's basically my diet. I mean, if, if, if just in case anybody's actually interested, you know, I think that anybody would be interested in, in my diet. But uh, intermittent fast, so I don't. I only eat between. Some I, I don't. I'm not religious. I'm not a yeah. religious dieter. Um, and I love the the whole people are like what well, you're on a diet. And like you're on a diet. It's just a shit diet. Maybe it's just a good diet. Everybody's on a diet. Uh, it's just diet's just the food you put in your body. Exactly. Like the, the the way that we use language is interesting about diets. But like I can't go on a diet. It's like so you're not eating at all. Doubtful. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I, I, so I don't eat between hours of midnight and 6 p.m. Sometimes I will go a full day where I just don't eat. Um, I don't consume water. Um, I'll have a coffee in the morning, um, mainly just to sort of kickstart my metabolism and make sure that um, it wakes me up and keeps yeah. me alert. It sustains me through my workout. I'll work out between 11 and 12 every day. Um, and then also I'll, I'll do like a workout at night. But... Um, I'm a really bad overeater, yeah. So I, I overeat, and that that's why I only Maybe restrict myself because yeah. it's something that I've found that I can't get past. Should maybe try and do some work to try and get past the overeating, but I find it really hard yeah. to not overeat at certain times of the day at night. Yeah. Um, and so I restrict myself, and then in those hours. Seven, six days out of seven, I only eat um, meat, uh, chicken, fish, veg, nuts, seeds, and maybe some dark chocolate or yep. something like that. But that's that's what I try. And try but I'm not religious, so if <laughs> um, if an occasion comes up, Christmas lunch, I'm not going to sit at Christmas dinner and be like, I'm not eating. No, eat. I need, I need, just die. I will break it, um, yeah. and I and I will break it regularly. Um, it's not something that I would be like, nah, I need to really plan. Um, if something pops up ad hoc, I'll give it. Yeah, I don't I don't see the point in sitting there and making yourself feel uncomfortable amongst right. other people to stick to a diet, whereas you're like, let's yeah, not. Because you need to live. 100%. Yeah. Um, so my, my last cheat meal that I was going to tell you about, we had a roll. <laughs> we had a roll in pie and beans. Oh my god, it that's was, disgusting. Oh, really? I thought you were kind of like, oh my god, that sounds like heaven. No. <laughs> they had a, a, like a well-fired crispy pot roll. That bit's good. With like loads of butter, <laughs> salt on good. the butter, and then a pie beat. <laughs> oh. It was so good. Honestly, it's, it's, that was like, uh, that was one of my aunties. Like, she would be like, have a roll pie. That's what she used to eat. So, I was saying to my girlfriend, we ever had a roll and pie, she's like, a roll and pizza. So it's like bread, bread and bread. Um, yeah. And she was like, no. I was like, oh my God, you need to try like, a roll and pie. Um, so that was like an interesting cheat meal. She loved it. Wow. I think it is one of the ones that people think it's disgusting. Well, I don't like eating the score pies. Oh, really? Unless it's a macaroni pie. I don't, I don't right. eat so, but. Oh, of course. I, so <laughs> Scottish pie is going to be disgusting. Scottish pie is not going not gonna to cut it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, would, I had a friend over from the States and she was staying with one of my other friends and I went over to see them and she's sitting with a plate with potato scone on it and I'm like, where's your roll? And she went, 
you kind of put bread with bread. And I was like, that's a potato scone, that's not bread. Is <laughs> <laughs> potato like, scones actually made out of potato? Mm-hmm. Oven? Potato and flour mashed together. Because right. when I lived in Australia, you couldn't get potato scones. And, and I, really, I really needed a potato scone. Wow. And I used to make my own. <laughs> that's awesome. There's a, there's a place in Duke Street uh, called Cafe Euro. And they deep fry potato scones. And they're absolutely majestic. I can imagine. I always fry my potato scones. But they deep fry it. No, deep fry it. It's like, it puffs out. Um, it's awesome. <laughs> Want to have a heart attack? Uh, exactly. It's so good. Um, but right for any cheat I've been in the game. Yeah, I will. I like once a week. But I, I think like uh, having a pizza or having some chocolate or having some crisps or whatever it is that you want, um, as long as it is, as, as long as you can control that. Yeah. Um, 90, I, all, I can't remember who it was that had said to me that 95, well, the, the, it was actually 90-10, try and strive to be 90% good, 10%. That's totally fine. Yeah. But I, I pushed it as I, like, as I do with pretty much everything, like the intermittent fasting is like, Six hour eating window, and I'm like, what about a four hour? What about a four hour eating window? How would it be if only just with one meal? Yeah. And try to find that balance, but I think that once a week. Um, but the, the feeling the next day is absolutely horrific. Um, I mean, I've. I've After your roll and. Yeah, or my Chinese or my Domino's or whatever it is that I decide to have. I've, I've woke up the next day with like swollen lips and. Your body's not used to processing that sort of stuff, yeah. and the thing that people that eat like that all the time, their bodies are bit so numb to it that mm-hmm. they don't know what it feels like to feel good. Yeah. So when you feel good for most of the week and you have that thing that's not great for your body and it's struggling to be able to process it, you really notice. It's like when you drink and you've got a hangover when you eat the shite food, you've got a hangover. You're poisoning for a yourself. Your body's like, this mm-hmm. isn't what I've been doing all week, and it's having to push it yeah. out. Yeah, and it's poison, and it yeah. actually shows you that it is so. Like I was saying earlier on, say to one of my mates, like, if you try this for 40 days, I'll guarantee you that when you go back, if you go back and have like a family sized bar of chocolate, or if you go back and have just like a night where you just eat what you want the next day, you're going to feel yeah. what this is doing to you. And that actually opens your eyes yeah. um, to, um, to, to what, what, how important nutrition is to yourself. Because, like you're saying, if you constantly live, in this poisoned environment, yeah, like acidic, like acid in your stomach, and no wonder you don't feel well. Like and people like acid reflux and indigestion mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. skin breakouts and acne and things now, like that. I think the, the the one thing that the podcast that I've listened to shined the light on was that how I mean I think it's kind of obvious how physiologically it affects your body, yeah, but mentally how it affects your performance mm-hmm. and yeah. How anxiety is caused, can, can be a cause of anxiety, depression, um, uh, and that ninety percent of us have probably got low level allergies to a lot of the stuff that we consume. Yes. And finding out what it is that's causing your upset stomach and why you're angry all the time, and yeah. I just couldn't believe it. Um, and it just the, the thing that she prescribes is a thirty day. Just do it for thirty days. Yeah. Let's see how you go on. Which is so achievable. Oh yeah, I mean you it's could only thirty days. Mm-hmm. Do it for thirty days. See how you take it. Reintroduce the the things into your diet that you used to eat, like dairy. Does it upset your stomach? Yeah. Yes. Get rid of it. Gluten. Does it upset your stomach? Yes. Get rid of it. Yeah. I mean, I did ninety days the first time that I did it, and then I had a pizza and I was scratching, mm. and was like, 
and Googled it and it was like, oh, well, maybe I'm a wee bit gluten intolerant. Yeah. Um, and then you need to be sort of, mm, is that gluten free? One of these people sitting in restaurants that want for the gluten free options, but <laughs> um, it, it does like it affects you so so wildly, um, and uh, then your actual then it comes down to the physical as well, like how well are you taking care of your body, and yeah. again come back to things like yoga and do you stretch? Um, I think that is stretching that is one of the when did I take up stretching? At 29, so it's been six years. You got up every morning and I have a stretch, and it's not even that big a deal. Like 15 minutes of just making sure that I can move my neck fully, and like I... I've got full range of motion in my knees and my, my ankles and my back, and then I go about my day. And the benefits that I've seen for that and taking that minimal care in my body physically, um, I suppose that you could say that that's an external. Um, taking care and the nutrition is like an internal taking care of your body yeah. but the benefits that I've seen for stretching is like ridiculous. But then even just moving your body like that first thing in the morning helps stimulate the lymphatic system which is helping the internal part, helping mm -hmm. flush things out and helping things detox and getting them moving. But movement, most people get up out of their beds, go into their car, drive to work, go into their office, sit down, mm -hmm. get back into their car, drive home, come into the house, sit down, watch TV all night. The um, biggest movement they get is maybe walking to the toilet mm -hmm. through the day. We need to move more because oh, our definitely. bodies don't have all these joints and these muscles and all this ability to do stuff to sit at a desk all, all mm -hmm. day or sit in a car. Or yeah, and we're wondering, I mean, we're the first, well, we're the, I think we probably will be the first generation of people where um, manual labour or sort of manual work is the main uh, source of work for the workforce, the, yeah. the call centre is the new factory. You know, even if you're just standing on your feet moving stuff from left to right or up and down, that's more movement than sitting with a headset on and, do you know what I mean, like stressing out your, your box about somebody on the other end of your phone. Just complaining about something completely irrelevant to life. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, well, we can talk about that. Like, uh, and retail. Yeah. Uh, I'll go back to a point about that if I, if I can remember. I'm both on our tangent, but um, I think we're going to be the first generation not only to deal with the internet and the social media and the mental distress, but also the physical distress that we're, that we're or the lack of physical stress that we're putting on our bodies by being dominant for the majority of our day. Yeah. Um, and who knows where that will lead? Um, I mean, just pure nutrition. Poor nutrition has caused like high heart disease cancers and strokes yeah so when you add that to the fact i mean my dad walking about inside his full life um in pubs played football still died at 55 a heart, had a stroke yeah. had closed arteries just purely because his nutrition and he's smoking and he's drinking yeah um but when you add smoking drinking pure nutrition and he, like wayne dorman who knows what that'll lead to i've got no idea absolutely no idea um, there was a statistic saying that the millennials is the first time that there's a lower life expectancy. You know, the first generation where life expectancy of them has actually dropped. Wow. I, I, I've, never, I, I've never read anything like that. I would be interested to, to read into it because I, I think that just purely the stress that we're under. Yeah. 
that they could have all put themselves under. That, that isn't a sort of personal responsibility. I think that as a society, we're putting so much stress on ourselves that just purely that would probably cause the cortisone levels to be ridiculous and therefore yeah. that's going to lead to heart attacks and stuff. But the, the number of people that I know that in the last couple of years that are getting diagnosed, particularly with gut health problems, so I got diagnosed with Crohn's in March 2017, mm-hmm. and since then I know at least 20 other people that have been diagnosed with either Crohn's or colitis, and that's people within my circle, and then they all know people that have had, had these kind of diagnoses, and that's a, that's a strange related illness. Like when I've been looking into what's causing it, it's chronic inflammation in the body, what causes chronic inflammation, lack of sleep and stress. Mm-hmm. It's a study that had come out in Denmark recently, just in the last six months, I think it was. It's a 30-year study on whether or not stress caused inflammation in the body. Because the last time I saw my consultant, which was January last year, eh, January this year, he was like, that, yeah, we don't know whether or not stress is, is actually a factor. Because I kept saying to him, I've, I've got myself better because I've reduced the stress in my life. Mm-hmm. He was like, mm, well, we don't know that, we don't know that. So when I see him this January, I'll go, see, I told you. Well, that's a, that's <laughs> a, a very, study. Yeah, and that's a very good point to where um, our educational systems and our institutions, as they call them, yeah. uh, are refusing to let go of these old ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you go back, even if, if you go back 30 years, we don't even need to go back that far, but even if you go back 30 years and look at what healthy diet or stress management would be the go to pub. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how, do you do, how do you cope with stress? Uh, I let it all out at the weekend and it's like you're not letting anything out, you're actually just numbing, numbing. yourself yeah. to the, the pain that you're feeling. Um, and a healthy balanced diet would have been white bread, white pasta, they had no idea. Smash. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh my god! I can't remember my Instant mom. Instant potato. <laughs> my, my mom was one of the the during the nineties. She was one of the people that had like carbon cut out in the Weight Watchers, but she was yeah. standing in the, the, the. She was. She's a small woman. She's only five foot tall. She went to be fifteen stone down to nine stone, wow. which for somebody five foot. Yeah. I mean, she almost half her body weight, um, and she was one of the first that did. The Weight Watchers and it was a Weight Watch Slimming World or something like that. It was like 1994 she did it. Um, and she was, the picture was everywhere. Like she, yeah. she, she won Slimmer of the Year and all this. Uh, and how she did it was totally unhealthy, ridiculously yeah. unhealthy. And one of the things that she ate was smash. And I can remember saying <laughs> um, it was the mincing bodies when she, she decided that we were all doing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We're, all, we're all eating this new way and we had the Weight Watch all like. Lasagna, like you know yeah. what I mean. The way watch those lasagna, so like, holy shit! But um, she made the mince and potties with a smash, and it was, it was howling. It was like goat. You're like, what is? I don't want that. Who thought that freeze drying potatoes was better than just boiling just a potato and mashing it? Like, <laughs> it's the same with the freeze dried milk. You used to do. We get powdered milk. Mm-hmm. My mum used, so. used to have it as an emergency if we ran out of milk because she used to get milk delivered. Oh, yeah. shop. We didn't live near a shop. Right, so I used to be a milk boy. When I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> oh. well, one of my pals got milk delivered in a glass bottle recently. She gets it delivered, they do it, they restarted it, and once a fortnight she gets a fresh lunch to deliver. Oh, yes. Aye. Milk deliveries are coming back. <laughs> it's almost like what we were saying earlier on with this sort of um, what CNN are doing with the, the political thing. I think we're doing that with social political and economical is that we're trying to take a step backwards. Yeah. We're almost going, what was, 
We've got the good old days back. But it wasn't good. No. There was nothing good about it. Yeah. We are going back to attend classes. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I would rather a world where um, gay, L, 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 what's it, what's it now? L, Yeah, people felt comfortable in society rather than a place where people feared for their lives. But we were more manly and we could deal with things and it's like, we didn't deal with nothing. Yeah. We just didn't speak about it. Yeah. And that's that's part of that. I think that that whole getting back to the paper boy milkman, um, so which basically we like to go back to the seventies and eighties like that, and back to that yeah. sort of time and place, and getting it back to a place where men are men and women had their place in the home. But it's not going to work. Yeah. It's not going to work. It just won't work. And um, people were too far down the line. Yeah. Or went too far down the rabbit hole, and quite rightfully so. Um, I don't know how I managed to, to link that back now, but <laughs> that just reminded me of that yeah, sort of that ideal. No, nostalgia, yeah. like thinking about record players, that's brilliant because we get to the records and get that nice authentic sound, but there's lots of other things from that time that we don't want to be able Yeah, to 100%. Um, the, what was the, the one that I had noticed, um, and this was part of it, actually it was going on camp, hopefully. Um, yeah, I was at a gig. Um, and I've, I mean, I've been involved in going to gigs in the music industry, well, more between the ages of 19 and 29 in the industry and getting to see how it worked in the background. But I've been going to gigs since I was 14. My, bro- my sister met my brother-in-law and I can't be any more thankful that my brother-in-law brought like Nirvana into my life. And yeah. I was listening to rave and trance and um, sort of dance music as people did in Glasgow and East End at the time, like Entrance and PTF. And I was just going along with that because my mates, and then as soon as I heard Oasis and Nirvana, I was like, no, that is what, it just called to me. And I started going to gigs and they took me to the Barlands and um, I went to see so many bands. I I sat with my my girlfriend's 10 years younger than me and I I tell her some of the bands that I've seen, she's just like, just like, (laughs) don't get the opportunity. But we were at a gig not so long ago and it was a, an up-and-coming Australian band called BMAs and they excellent. But the crowd that was there, I was saying, when we left, I had said to her that it felt almost like a simulated gig experience. Um, I can remember the days when people, I was one of them, you would have your top off and you would be in the middle and you would go mental and yeah. you would be like grabbing your mates and singing and there was nights where me and my mates started crying in the middle of the bar and you're steaming, but you're just listening to like emotional like music. I think it was um, Elbow or something like that, and we were just standing crying, hugging each other. But the experience that I'm seeing, that I've seen these young guys, it was almost like they were trying to get that. Yeah. But it wasn't. A, it, it, it just isn't there anymore. Like yeah. that experience can happen while you've got your phone in your hand. No. Well, you're worrying about what your hair looks like. Like, like there was a group of guys in front of me, and I'm no, I'm no looking at them and thinking, oh, I had it better. I'm actually like thinking it needs to change in some way. Aye. It needs to evolve. You need to teach you how to let go. Ah, you can't <laughs> be looking back at that oasis of time and people going mental and thinking, I want to do that, but I also want to document it in Snapchat. Yeah. Because they don't fit each other. So the guy that was in front made his top off, Tammy's three mates. And in the middle of a song, they were, they were like, oh, this bit's coming up. 
cleared the area, right? See when this bit comes in, we'll all go mental, right? And they started going around people round about them going, see when they start to do this bit, we'll go mental. And you're almost like, what are you doing? You're like, just meant to go, I know. And then five minutes later, he came up and he's like, big man, go take a photo of me and my mates. And they're all like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're all like, it's just audio. They're all fixing up there. And they were all getting their like, t-shirts looking good and it was, they were hugging each other and it was like, right, yes. And I was thinking to myself, right, who are you, right, so who's this for? Like, when yeah. I went to gigs, I just let go. Yeah. I, like, I, I mean, I've got nights where I can barely remember, and it wasn't because I was drunk, it's just because I get so in the moment, yeah. and in the middle, and, and it, had, it had been so hyped up that I wanted to see this band, and I've listened to them constantly for weeks on end, waiting for this gig, and then it eventually happened. I couldn't go online and watch it. I couldn't yeah. go on YouTube and see what the live experience was like and see how it was supposed to act. I just went, and you just went with it in the crowd, and it even happened in the crowd. I was saying this to my girlfriend as well. When I was at gigs back in the days, the crowd used to sway backwards and forwards. That wasn't happening. Everybody was keeping a sort of appropriate amount of distance with each other yeah. until this organised fun came in. We were like, this mental bitch came up, so let's do this. And so I think that that's the exact same thing. That is people looking back and going, that looks so good. I want that. Yeah. How do I get that? Well, the only way that I know how to get it is through organising it and yeah. making it try to construct this sort of feeling of like when the crowd came together. Um, I, so that, I think that's part of it as well. Like I think that we're starting to see it as well in actual the choices of music that people are just, the way they dress, they're almost like you're looking at it and going, that's just like 1995 and like this is, we're trying to get this Brit pop. It's almost like, when was the country good? Yeah. When did we feel good about ourselves and our society? Yeah. Then let's be honest, never. <laughs> but I think ninety. Well, but nostalgically, yeah. yes. But I, the well, reality, I think that ninety-nine. And there was a very, very small snapshot in time in nineteen ninety-seven where we did feel good about ourselves. That we, we voted in Tony Blair, and we seen all these minimum wage, um, yeah. so uh, progressive social policies come in. They started building new hospitals and schools. We all know, we know now in retrospect that it was yeah. all built up in a house of cards and PFI loans and we couldn't afford it. And, yeah. uh, it was about skimming off the top to their pals, but the way that it was sold, uh, with a prime minister that played guitar, invited Mo Gallagher and Alan McGee to, to number 10, and it was almost like working class people going, yes, we've done this, like we've, we've got what we wanted. And, but... We didn't realise that we were being duped. Yeah. Um, but that's what I think people are, are craving, that time when it was okay to be the way that they think and the way that they feel, rather than in a modern day 2018 or 2019, depending on your <laughs> podcast, it, we need to consider our approach. Yeah. And people don't like having to consider their approach. It's almost like... It's like yeah, yeah, it might be that. I've never really thought about it like that, that it's a lack of responsibility. It's almost, it, it comes across to me as well that a lot of people, it's like, well, I've felt that that's my whole life. Why do I now need to consider something different? Yeah. And it's like, well, if you don't grow, if you stay if you stay still, you die, essentially. Yeah. Um, either mentally or like whatever it is. Like yeah. you, you, need to, you need to progress. Um, so I don't think that that sort of like looking back and thinking about how we used to be is going to work for us particularly well. I think it will crumble. Um, who knows? 
definitely the future will do. Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, these are these are part of like this is part of what I'm finding is is with the term woke. I hate the term woke, but because it's got this different sort of connotation to it. But when you wake up and you become woke to these things, there's a lot of questions yeah. and they don't have answers. We don't have the answers, and you need to be um, able to process your own thoughts and, and sort of make peace with the fact that you're wrong about some things. Yeah. Um, and it, it just seemed to me that there was a lot of people that were just unwilling to do that. Mm. Um, because their ideas and their thoughts have been backed up for such a long time that these new ideas don't, they, they can't be real. It's, it's snowflake. It's, no, it's it, it's this this culture that we're, we're making, and it's like, well, it's just the destruction of the culture that was made for you or previous generations post World War Two, and now we're we're in a post. I don't know where where the line because we'll get this clear line when the world wars stopped and sort of communist Russia broke away. And that seems to be a line where this started. Yeah. Where did it end? I would argue that it maybe ended in nine eleven, but. Mm-hmm. Because that was when the new sort of thing came in, and this sort of terrorist, like yeah. non-sovereign army that well, you need to watch your back, and fear culture started to really grow. Um, but I think two thousand and eight, in this country and in, in Britain, the financial crash of two thousand and eight was a big wake-up call for everybody that went, "Holy shit, what what have we done? Where are we going?" Yeah. Um, and the the sort of where we are just now is that half of the population is clinging on to what it was like and then the other half is just too keen to get to the new way yeah and this is where we're getting this friction that's happening um we're still kind of stuck even 10 years later we're still kind of stuck in limbo almost because there's yeah. people that haven't let go and these people that can't yeah well, get, I think that's what austerity's about austerity's about uh um uh, 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 sort of how do we maintain like, how do we maintain what we've got? Yeah. Like, well, we need to spend less money. And, and then, um, so that's what I think. And we've been kept in that. We've, we've been, yeah. again, we've been back, back, I've said it four or five times now, we've been back into a comma. Yeah. We've been back into a comma via austerity, via mm-hmm. uh, the, the political correctness. Um, and we're almost like animals fighting our way out of it. And yeah. I think there's a different way of being. I think there's a different way of coming out. You should come out with your hands held up and just go, um, I want to learn what this is all about. I want I want to know. Because if I go back um, to my like, pre-30, I was a misogynist. I didn't really know any other way. I felt like I was bigger, stronger, faster than any woman. You know, like that kind yeah. of, I'll take care of this. Like, I'll fix this. Don't, if anybody ever had a problem, it was like, I'll fix this. Like, how do we fix it? Um, and just now, I would be more empathetic and less sort of let's be practical and be less practical and just sort of think about how does it make you feel, yeah. and and more sort of like like yeah, rather than just fix it and move on and this sort of like put a bandaid on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a bandaid is a really good way of describing it. And um, pre, like I said, if I go back, but. There's been a few sort of things that came out, a few instances of things that have happened um, that have made me sort of reflect and realise that I mean, maybe the way that I speak and the way that I carry myself isn't that nice. And 
I'm maybe a wee bit forceful and a wee bit aggressive. And it's made me change and it also it makes me consider other people way more than what I ever did before. Yeah. And this is where I, I think that a lot of people could use a bit of sort of um, how did I get it? People just told me, I think, like, yeah. there was a few, like, um, I met a girl when I was single, and she was bisexual, and that changed my life, because I would say stuff like, that's gay. Yeah. And that, I mean, you hear people say that type of thing, and especially when I was younger, that was the, that was huge, but I was like, mm. that's gay. Nah. You can't say that. You can't say that. No, it doesn't. It's the same as this sort of argument that's happening like right now with this uh, fairy tale in New York and the, the use of the word like, which um, Kirsten McCall sounds like you cheap, lousy faggot in the song. And people are calling for it to be banned on yeah. the BBC. And then the other, so that's the side that's wanting to get to the place quicker than what people are ready for. But then you've got this whole other people that's been like, well, freedom of speech and like, why can we know? And we've been doing this for years and this has been on the radio for years and years and years. And then what you don't realise is, is that there has been a section of society that has been sitting feeling unsafe to vocalise that they don't like that song. And that the, and it's also the context of which it's safe is actually quite disturbing because she's talking to a straight man and uses it as a derogatory term towards yeah. a straight man. So if you take it in context, it's pretty disgusting. Yeah. So why don't we just ban it? Um, do we ban the song? Probably not. Do we create a new world? Or go through it? Like yeah, do just all the other songs. Do that. that gets so there, that, then that becomes the compromise. But the problem is, again, I mean, both sides are the problem. The side that's wanting to get to this utopian, politically correct place quicker than what people are ready don't want that compromise. They yeah. want it banned. And then it's like, well, where, where do we sit? So these are the questions that, I mean, I definitely struggle with myself, like internally. Yeah. And, um, I think that as a wider society, we need to sort of get to grips with But how we do it's that, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We try and legislate that, yeah. which never works, which won't work. Um, I think that I've got sort of ideas and thoughts about how governments used to be about organising the assets, so they would be involved in British Gas, British Steel, British Telecom, the train systems. Yeah. That's how they, they ran society in that sense, the economics and the markets. And, and because that's been sold off and died, now they're in the game of telling you how to live your life. Yeah. And we get this weird paradigm that's happening where they're telling us that socialism will never work, but actually we live under a cultural socialism where we're told how to think and we're told, and we're actually, the, if anybody doesn't think that the BBC isn't a state-run news network, then I, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> so, so sorry, but they are just the state's glory. Back to yeah. Blair when he was in power, and now they're back in the toys when they're in power, and that is what they do. Um, and they are, I mean, people talk about RT, Russia today, or well, that's just run by the Kremlin. If you don't think that BBC run by Westminster, yeah. then you need your brain sorted because the guy that is the chief exec 100% is at a governmental job and it will go into the revolving door, or somebody will come to the government and run the BBC in the future. Yeah, and absolutely. So, I we end up in this weird sort of freedom, and we don't we live in a free society. Not no. Really, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. Um, I, I could 
so we have got like there's so many th other things that we could talk about and I'm very aware that we've been talking for nearly an hour and a half. Oh really? <laughs> this is just like, like oh my god, it totally flies in. I've only ever done one, one of our podcasts that I had on and I went through Edinburgh and did KP. Have you ever watched KP's no, podcast? He's, he's a general podcast so it, um, I'm not surprised isn't it? He? he does a lot of sort of MMA stuff. Yeah. And we sat and spoke for two and a half hours and it felt like 15 minutes. I know. But I think it's because I've got verbal diarrhea. <laughs> I think people just, when they're given a space to talk where somebody's listening, it makes it so much easier because so often if you're talking to your partner or something else and they're not paying attention yeah, they're on, on the phone, phone. you're like, what's the point? So mm -hmm. if, you, if you have a situation where, and it's like if you go and meet up your pals and nobody's got their phone out, the night flies in because everybody's chatting and everybody's engaged mm -hmm. in conversation, but as yeah. soon as that isn't, or it's just small talk that you're, you're going to, yeah. like everything drags out. out. So when it's, mm -hmm. let's, have, let's talk about stuff that I'm really interested in, really passionate in, and it's like, oh my yeah. God, where did the time go? I think one of the things that I've became more comfortable with in that space of a podcaster is, is that I'm not, I'm not married to my ideas. So yeah. like, I'll say stuff, and I'm more than open for somebody to disagree with me. Like, this is a this is a point I can a bone of contention that I get with quite a lot of people. This is that because I express something, it doesn't mean to say that I believe in it. It's just this is my idea. And if you disagree with that, I want to hear the disagreement. I don't I but people don't about the that. Yeah, or not even just that. People I've had people say to me like, You're being a wee bit mm, I don't really like this and like sort of confrontation. Yeah. And I'm like, Well, I'm just all I'm trying to do is sort of grow. Like, I want yeah. to hear how you feel and how you think about this situation so that I can get another point of view. I don't want somebody to go, I don't feel like that, so I'm just going to walk away and not, yeah. I'm not engaged. Or even worse, just go, you're an idiot, but you don't, you've not read this, you, you, you don't think like this, get away from me. Um, and it, I've had a couple of times where people are to sort of go, listen, I'm not trying to argue my point here. Yeah. I'm not married to my ideas on life. I've, I'm wanting to take in as much as possible. Yeah. And that also means the other side. I think a lot of people find it shocking um, when I'll say, oh, I watched this Tommy Robinson talk on YouTube that was an hour long that he did at Oxford University and people will be like, oh, like what? But do you do you think that, that no, 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 no. But I want to hear what he's saying. Yeah. Because I, if I ever get the opportunity to engage with somebody like that, I want to know as much as they do on the subject yeah. so that I can let them know that that because going at people with a lack of knowledge in the area that they're wanting to talk about, it just reinforces their bad ideas. I want to know the good, the bad and the ugly so that I can, mar I can marry them together, have my own feelings and thoughts and then be able to have a conversation with somebody on that okay. rather than just this one-sided argument that a lot of people just go down and when they hear the other side, it's like that, an affront, like an attack. Yeah. And so don't bring it to the table because it doesn't, I don't like that feeling when you speak mm. about that. Yeah. And I think this is where we're, <coughs> we need to get away from, but our social media use um, and a lack of conversation face to face. Yeah. Isn't so I'm going to ask one last question before we wrap this up. What has been your biggest aha or oh my god moment when you've heard somebody say something that's completely flipped your way of thinking? <laughs> Huge question for one last question. Um, <laughs> um, I've had a lot of them recently in the last few years. 
So it's half your pack one out. Yeah. I think that yeah, this is the this is the big one for me is that somebody's so yeah, somebody else's perspective on something is their truth. Yes. So there is nothing that you can say to somebody to change if they're somebody that's grew up in a working class background, they don't they they are going to have their ideas on the banks yeah. and the government. Um, but if you get somebody who's grew up in a, a, an upper class background, they're going to have completely different ideas because they've been comforting all these different bits and pieces. Um, I was always kind of like of the opinion that if you don't see that the government's corrupt, then you're an idiot. Mm. And that that is, I grew out of that and came to this sort of like, yeah, the government is still corrupt, but you need to have an idea of where this person, I where this person's identity is built up. How how what what's their experiences? How has their life brought them to these conclusions that you don't agree with? And then you can then form an informed opinion because you can let that person tell you, well, I grew up in a household where my parents were rich and we they, they used the tax loophole so that we could go on holiday and that's actually yeah. positive to me. And then you can be like, right, okay, so Maybe it's not just all about me and my perception and my perspective and how I think and feel about certain ideas. I think that's been the biggest aha moment for me that a person has only their own experiences and yeah. there's nothing that you can do to change that. And so you need to, to and to communicate to that person, you need to give them the same genuineness um, and openness to their ideas as what you would want for your own. Um, because if you just meet somebody with pig ignorance or even like aggression based on their ideas, it's never going to be met with anything other than disdain, and you'll, you'll never get to cut through yeah. and change people's perceived bad ideas. Yeah. Um, that was a good question because <laughs> I was expecting what's your favourite album? Or like? <laughs> no, no, very deep. <laughs> So, anybody who wants to check out your podcast or follow you on social media, where is mm -hmm. the best place for them to follow you? So, um, for podcasting, you better get this right. Um, <laughs> Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Paul Rebel City, and the podcast is at Rebel City Pod. If you go there, and I'm just going to check this out. Yeah, there's links to iTunes and YouTube, and I post, I put a wee post up about every episode. And if you follow me on social media, yeah, you'll probably just get some kind of left-wing um, opinion of the world. Opinion of the world. <laughs> that, um, if, and also as well, if anybody, like my DMs are open, if, if anybody wants to come follow me and message me on porn addiction, um, something that we didn't speak about was is that in my, my, my own recovery and my, my own self-led recovery of porn addiction, I ended up a sex addict as well, which okay. was because I had put this idea of porn bad, sex good, yep. but then I realised that the volume was, was an issue. And yep. So I, I, I made some very, very bad mistakes. Well, I've got, I've got to the other side, so they're only that bad, but I've made some mistakes in my recovery. If anybody wants to speak to me about porn addiction, sex addiction, um, I'm a qualified... Um, counselor, if, if anybody wants to reach out in any way, shape or form, if anybody wants to come and tell me that I'm an idiot and that they've got different ideas on anything that I spoke about, go for it, please. Yeah. Like, I, I love engaging with people and I love talking to people. 
But if you want to contact me on social media, that's fine. Um, my Instagram is the exact same as my uh, my Twitter, and there's a link to my Instagram. So just go to Twitter, and that was at Paul Rebel City or at Rebel City Pod. I'll put the links in the show notes so awesome. that people can easily find you. So thank you very much. No thank worries. you. That was really, really good. Thanks for listening and remember to leave a review and subscribe over on iTunes or SoundCloud and check out what's going on at IamJenWilson.com or head over to Instagram and give us a follow just following IamJenWilson.